be able to come and worship you and praise you in this place. I thank you that we live in a country that we're able to do that right now. And I just give you praise for you are my king. You are my Lord. You are my savior, my healer, and my redeemer. And we worship you, Father. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who ever will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God holds the victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today.
have a reason to praise him this morning where has he brought you from where has he taken you from where were you before where were you before he showed up in your life where were you before he is the potter and we are the clay he is the potter and we are the clay thank you father that i have a reason to praise you not just of what you've done for me but just simply who you are the creator of the heavens and the earth. A reason to glorify your name. Who wore our 
to make a room that's the whole thing you can't to make room you got to get rid of stuff father we're open we're open oh, oh, oh. but you have to make the room you have to make the room you have to be willing to lay it down he's not just going to rip it out of you oh that's why the song says i will make room I will humble myself before the King. Oh, yeah. And I will make room for you. Do whatever you want to. Do whatever you want to. And I will make room.
realize it or not, but that is a very dangerous prayer to pray. God, do whatever you need to do. We just said it. Do whatever you want to do. In other words, we're saying, God, do whatever needs to be done in my life. It's a dangerous prayer because God take you up on it. I tell people that all the time. I said, be very careful about saying, Lord, here I am. Do whatever you want. Because he's taking that as an open invitation. And he's going to do exactly that. And you, when he begins, you can't go, oh, oh, but I didn't mean that. No, no, no. And no, you've already said, do whatever you need to do. God, we want you to do whatever is necessary in our life. Because we want you. We want you. We want you. We want your presence. We want your Holy Spirit. We want all of that. And so, Lord, we come this morning and we say, Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way in our lives. Because you've not come to rule or dictate or reign in terror you've come to point us to Jesus to the Father you've come to teach us truth guide us into all understanding concerning Jesus and so Father we say let your kingdom come and your will be done in these houses of earth today for the glory of of your name we ask you amen we're going to receive communion this morning this is the second Sunday of the month this is the month the Sunday that we set aside for receiving communion so the ushers are coming and and please just take uh, if you're welcome to you don't have to but you're welcome to take the cup you'll notice there's two cups one uh, the juice is on top. The bread is underneath. Just take one, and you'll have both of them there. Thank you, sir. And so we practice open communion, simply that we believe that if you are a believer in Christ, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're born again by the Spirit of God, then that's all that's necessary. You don't have to have a church membership, per se. You are already a member of the church of Jesus Christ by being born again by the Spirit. So you're welcome to participate with us this morning. The Bible says to, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul, the apostle, wrote to the church and gave instruction to them concerning the Lord's Supper because actually he rebuked them because they were doing it in such a way that it divided the, the haves and the have-nots in the congregation. And he says, so, he says, some of you are sick and some have even died. He says, because you've taken of the bread and the cup unworthily. So he says, examine your hearts. So just for a moment, would you just ask the Holy Spirit to show you, is there anything that you need to ask, ask the Lord forgiveness for? Is there anything, your attitude, anything that you've said, anything you've done improperly? 
ask him to show you and then just simply ask for his forgiveness repent of it and ask for his forgiveness I know this and I know whenever I do that he's quick to put his finger on something and he's never wrong Lord our desire in coming together today is to honor you to worship you right now to celebrate in remembrance the work that you did Jesus when you came and sought us out and the price that you paid that we might be set free so God we say search our hearts and if there's anything there show us and we ask for forgiveness we say as the psalmist did Lord just cleanse our hearts purify our hearts oh God and God that this is not a reoccurring thing uh, we want to represent you we want to reflect you we want to reflect the grace that you've shown towards us that we might show it towards others Apostle Paul wrote the church in Corinth and he said, For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took a loaf of bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This little wafer that we take is to remind us that he was not forcibly nailed to a cross the Bible says he willingly laid down his life for us and so we take this bread in remembrance what an act of love is there any greater act of love than giving one's life for another Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the act of love that you showed us when you gave your only son. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you could have easily called angels to take you off that cross. And in doing so, we would have been left in our sin. But because of your love to each and every one of us those who believe in you and have following you and accepted you are now cleansed from sin and made righteous for your Holy Father so we take this bread in remembrance of the sacrifice you gave upon the cross gospel when Jesus was celebrating the Passover for his death he took the cup any of you have studied the Passover will 
realized there was more than one cup. This was a cup that was taken after the meal. And he said, this cup is the covenant of my blood, which is written for you. A new covenant written in his blood. And Jesus makes a statement. He says, I will no longer eat or drink from the fruit of the vine until I do it with you in my father's house and so when I take this cup to me I am reminded of the fact that he said he's coming back to get me I said he's coming back to get us and when we do there is going to be a celebration in heaven and the saints of old and all that have believed in his name break the bread and drink of the cup together and so the bread to me is looking back at what Christ did on the cross this is looking forward to that day when his father says son go get your bride hallelujah I like looking forward how many of you know that I like to look forward to the something so spectacular as that so Jesus we thank you that you've not gone off and forgotten us you're preparing a place in your father's house for us and you're coming back that we might be where you are so we take this cup in remembrance not only of what you have done but what you are doing and what is about to come for when you take us to be with you, you have said, I will drink of the fruit of the vine once again. Lord, I thank you for this promise. And this cup is, is a symbol of that promise. And God, you are not a God who can lie. And so we say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You can take the cup. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the blessing of your promise. Thank you for this time of partaking in communion together. Now, Holy Spirit, have your way this morning and all that you want to do to the glory of Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And pass your cups so that ushers are collecting the, the empty cups here. Well, good morning, Life Church. It's good to see you this morning. Praise the Lord. Glad that you're here. Hallelujah. Thank you, worship team. Last Sunday was supposed to be our mission Sunday, and, but it was a holiday weekend, and we kind of skipped it to this week. And uh, once a month, we like to try and highlight uh, one of the ministries or ministries or missions or fields or whatever projects that we at Life Church support and and Brother Tiger Morgan's going to come and tell you who the individual is that we're highlighting this month. It doesn't mean that they're the only person that receives our our financial support, but just so that you might know who they are. Good morning. Good morning, Life Church. Okay, do we have a picture? Okay. Yes. All right, so this picture you guys are going to see put up here shortly, uh, 
I don't know. I know Jason personally. I don't know if I asked him, you know, Jason, what are you? Are a missionary or evangelist? And I'm certain he would say, I'm just a lover of Jesus. And that's the reality. Uh, this family is so important to the body of Christ. They live right side, outside of Monroe, Louisiana. Uh, Jason is a graduate of Christ for All Nations, and his, his children are following him in his footsteps. His wife, Lillian, and their four kids, they have a, I think they have a daughter named Abella, they mm -hmm. have a daughter named Gracie, they have a son named Judah, and they right. have a son named Titus. Such fire names. But those kids, I mean, they just love the Lord. They love the Lord. They're, they're, they're beautiful examples of raising your family unto the Lord. Uh, Jason and his wife, Lillian, they, they started compelling ministries because they just have a burden to see the lost come to know Jesus. I mean, their life is such a powerful testimony of what it looks like to give everything to the Lord. I was talking to Jason uh, one time about tithes, and I, and we were talking about a ten percent. He said, "Well, we've just we've we've decided in our hearts as a family that thirty percent is going to tithes. Like they are fully committed that even though all the money belongs to the Lord, they just they're adamant about that." Uh, Jason has and his family they have traveled to several countries. They they go to Kenya, Africa a lot. They go to Asia. Uh, when he was here in 2019 for the fire conference, he was here for four days, and y'all. He told a story because he was talking about becoming, it doesn't matter, like you do whatever you've got to do to reach people for the gospel. Right. So he went in to China and uh, he, they fed him cat brains. And so like, so he didn't offend the people that he was trying to minister to. He gobbled it up is what he said because that's something they eat. So I don't know about y'all, but I don't, I don't, I just don't know if I'm there yet. I don't know if my stomach is that sanctified. Uh that's right. I'm barely getting past bugs. So, but Jason and his family, they're such a uh, they're such an important part of the body of Christ and so these are some of the missionaries that we support uh, on a monthly basis. You know, I was sitting over there thinking for a moment before I came up and I did some math and I thought about it. I want y'all to listen to this. If there are 50 people in here who once a week would sow $5 into missions, as a church, we would be sowing easily $1,000 a month into the mission field. And it's hard for me to believe that there's anybody that can't find a way to sacrificially give five bucks. I, I certainly know I can because I waste money on, on so much coffee. And I'm just telling myself right now. But, you know, each person once a week could sacrifice $5 and it was 50 people. We would sow $1,000 into the mission field. That's $12,000 a month. Like, that's a lot of money, and we have a much bigger goal than that as a church, but I just want you guys to think about that, because you can't outgive God, and, and what do we what do we invest in our time in? What do we invest in our money in? And I would just challenge you guys as a church, us as a church, that we would see the mission before us, the, the mission of Jesus, and the people that necessarily go uh, where we can't go all the time. So there are people that God sends to do that, but we want to be partners in helping send them in that endeavor. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, you may have received an envelope that was passed to you. It says missions on it. This is just something. This is missions. Our missions giving is separate from our tithes. And the tithe belongs to the Lord. Missions is, is going above, above that. In fact, Brother Tiger, years ago, before you ever came here, 
I preached a message called A Cup of Coffee, Prophecy, and, and Missions. And, and I did a study on that and showed just within the assemblies of God that how we could give 10 times the amount that was being given, even though you look at the total amount nationwide was in the millions. It, it would have been 10 times more, and that was based on a cup of coffee at that time that was $3. I don't think you can get a cup for $3, just a paper cup for $3 anymore. And, um, and so uh, it, 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 it's just a matter of is missions important? Well, it is the heart of God because God said go. God said go into all the world. That's missions. And so we support local. We support those who go overseas. In fact, um, uh, J Brother Jason will be here the last weekend in October, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. <clears throat> He'll be coming. And um, uh, we, we've been going back and forth on dates and finally got it locked in. Um, and so he'll be here again. It's been, what, three years, four years since he's been here, I think. And so uh, I'm excited about that. Told him we'd, when the time comes, we'll have been praying and fasting and believing for a powerful weekend. And so we just ask you to consider giving something in missions. You can use that envelope that you have. If you're not prepared to do that today, you can keep it next week, put it in there, drop it in the boxes that are in the back. In fact, we have... Uh, and and, and uh, put put that slide up there there about uh, uh, giving. If you will, we have offering boxes on the back wall. Somebody said, "Well, why don't you take pass a bucket or something?" We just believe that if you'll teach on the Word of God, that the tithe is the Lord's. We are stewards of that, and that we give. That we, we don't have to do that. Um, it's not there's nothing wrong with that. We pass a basket or a. a um, bag around when we take up a special offering for a special guest speaker or whatever but um, we have an app uh, you can go to Tithely either on the app um, um, Google store or the um, Apple store um, you can go to our website you can text to give there's different ways and even if you use the app it defaults to tithe but if you'll look there's a drop down arrow and there's a place in there that says missions student uh, giving, uh, all, benevolence, all kinds of things that you can choose to give to. And um, so we thank you for your faithfulness in doing that and just appreciate it so much. Amen. Let's just go on. Uh, I want to read this morning. I'm, I'm going to read several verses of Scripture, but um, we started a, mini, a kind of a mini-series about four. This will be the fourth week talking about some topics or issues that we as Christians are facing in our world, in our culture today, and what is the biblical viewpoint and what is the biblical response concerning those things. Um, and so I want to read from Psalms, one, uh, Psalms 11 and 7. It says, For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice and the upright will see his face. And this verse has been going through my mind for three weeks. It's Micah 6 and 8. And it says, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so the topic 
this morning is biblical justice versus social justice. You know, I, I have to tell you, can I be honest? I mean, I'm always, I'm, I'm always honest with you, but can, can I just tell you that I have struggled personally in the last several weeks with this because I know people were like, I want to go to church, I want to feel good, I want to be a, you know, but you know what? Paul told Timothy, and the scripture tells us that all scripture is good for a number of things. And some of it is teaching. Some of it is rebuking. Some of it is for guidance. Some of it is for other things. And so uh, one of the giftings that God has given me in my life is teaching. And, and I think it's important that Christians today be not only aware, but understand the issues so that they can, in a biblical manner, respond to them, okay? So the first week, we looked at what I call the sexual revolution that is taking place. Now, I lived during the 60s, and, and, and all the media was, there's a sex revolution going on. It was free love and all that kind of stuff. Now we have one, but it's completely changed, and it's everything from the LGBTQ community to transgenderism, all that kind of stuff. Uh, then we talked about racism. And, and, uh, and then last week we talked on another subject. This one is, this one's been really sitting hard on my heart because so many Christians don't understand it. So, and I'm trying to take this, I actually had enough material, I could have done three solid weeks. But I'm not going to do that today. Look at your neighbor and go, praise the Lord. Okay. So, but, but let me illustrate this to you. Think of a word or a phrase that makes you cringe when it's mispronounced or misused. How many of you could think of something? Only five of you? <laughs> really? <laughs> I looked it up. The most misused phrase in the English language in America, I had to say that because English in England's different language, right? <laughs> the most misused phrase in America is when people say, I could care less because what they're supposed to, what, what's proper is I couldn't care less. Does that make sense? But some people will say same difference. Same difference is, does, doesn't make sense. You cannot be the same in difference. I, I had that with my kids all the time. They say same difference. No, it's not. It's not the same and different. Can't do it. All right? The second most misused phrase, and this was, this was a scientific study done recently across the United States with several thousand people, okay? The second most misused phrase is would have instead of would have. I would have done that. I would have done that. No, I would have done that. And But it's... It's that phrase, you know, that's the way it is. And there's a whole list of them. People say things and don't realize that they're mispronouncing it or misapplying it, okay? 
And that's especially true, I think, when it comes to um, uh, other phrases that people don't actually think about when they say things. And, but when Christians use the term social justice, because that is a hot-button topic in our culture today, when they say it, it doesn't mean what they think it means. Okay? So what is social justice, and how is it different from biblical justice? Because we're to base our lives upon what the Bible says. We're to live according to Scripture, right? And so should Christians advocate social justice, all right? So to do that, we're going to break it down a little bit, because that's just where I am. I'm just like, I'm, I'm going to start with the first thing, and let's start with the word justice. And according to the Oxford English Dictionary, the word justice means the maintenance of what is just or right by the exercise of authority or power, assignment of deserved reward or punishment. In other words, in, in, in just a one-line sentence, real simple, justice both both giving and receiving that which is just. That's what justice is, okay? The, so the, but it begs several questions. Who determines what is just? By what standard do we know what is right or fair? What is due or owed to each and every one of us according to justice? Okay? Some people will say the law determines what justice is. But can I tell you just because something is the law doesn't make it just. For example, in the United States for decades, it was the law of, land, of the land that legalized the selling of slaves. It was the law. Was it just? No. Here's the, here's the thing. Justice is pure. Okay? Man is sinful. Man creates law. Thus, law is not always going to be just. It's no hard. Right? I'm, I'm a kind of simple person. I just like it broke down. And here's the thing we need to understand is that our world is full of injustice and always will be until Christ comes back and restores his kingdom here on earth and he will rule injustice. Okay? So we, we, have, to, we have to understand that. Now, just that alone, I could have stopped right there and said that's the crux of the whole thing. Because if you don't believe this word, then anything I'm going to say from here on out doesn't matter. Because this is the standard. This is that plumb line that determines right and wrong. So we now know what justice is. So what is biblical justice? Okay, There's two aspects to this. And that is simply this. First and foremost, there, the fact that biblical justice is defined by God and God alone. He didn't ask us, what do you think would be a just, what do you think would be just? In fact, the Bible says, so where, where were you, God says, where were you when I created the heavens? Where were you when I separated the waters on the earth? Where were you? In other words, I didn't ask you. I didn't need your input. And so justice in, in and there's two, one fact about justice is that God determines what is just, what is just. 
The second thing is that true, final, and perfect justice will ultimately be rendered by God to each person after their death, when they stand before God, okay? So any man-made system of justice may fail, but nothing gets past God. So his, he is just and right in all of his ways. There's two ways that justice, the word justice is used in the Bible, or two, two ideas that are used there, okay? The first one is this. It's what's called retributive justice. Now, that sounds like a fancy word, but how many of you have heard the word retribution? Okay, and that's all it means. Retribution in which someone who commits sin or wrongdoing is punished for their deeds, okay? And, and that we get that example by God giving the Ten Commandments. He gave that, uh, the tablets to Moses. And later, he gave the law, which was mu- much more specific, dealing with rights and wrongs and things that should be done, shouldn't be done, all of that. <clears throat> Those, the, this is important because the, the, these moral rules, if I can put it that way, reflect God's perfect character. And we see this even when Jesus walked the earth. In Matthew 22, verse 37 and 39, they said, Lord, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus summarized everything in the Old Testament into two verses. And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? So in, in that, we have the idea of retributive justice. In other words, there's, there's, if you do wrong, there's a penalty to pay. If you do right, there's a reward in that. Okay? But the second focus of justice in the Bible that really applies to today's topic it's, it's what is known as restorative justice. And that's when those who are unrightfully hurt or, or wronged are restored and given back what was taken from them, okay? It, res, it focuses on restoring individuals what has been unfairly taken away and helps them to rise out of the bondage that they've been in. For example, if an orphan has no family, then biblical justice would seek to give that child a home. Uh, If someone was robbed, then biblical justice would focus on restoring that individual's specific needs. And the key to this that we need to understand, because this is going to separate what biblical justice and the modern use of social justice is, and that is the justice, this type of justice, does not care about ethnicity, racial background, or status. Okay? What's right is right, and what's wrong is wrong, according to this book. Doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, what side of the tracks you were born on. That's what we used to say growing up, you know. You know, if you weren't born in, 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 in the upper echelon of, of society or you were, you were born with nothing, it doesn't matter. 
If, if biblical justice is that it's going to be fair and equal across the board, no matter what, okay? Now, it's through this concept that God makes it clear he wants us to strive to render true justice even in this fallen world. Now, that, that's, a tough, that's a tough one, okay? And so that's why he gave us the Ten Commandments. That's why he gave us the royal law that James 2.8 refers to that Jesus talks about, love God and love your neighbor, okay? These are the moral baseline. These are the moral plumb lines of our life, and everything else should be built off of that. So that's justice, and that's biblical justice. So what is social justice, okay? Let me, let me preface something before I get on to what you see on the screen. And the reality is, the minute that you start slapping adjectives like social or racial or anything else in front of the word justice, you immediately change the meaning of the word justice. Okay? It's like putting ketchup on a steak. You ruined it. And if you do that, don't tell me. I don't want to know. I really don't. <laughs> now, somebody will say, oh, pa but pastor, you just said biblical justice. You used an adjective. Okay, but here's the thing. Biblical justice is consistent with impartial justice. So it doesn't change anything. Okay? Because it completely lines up. Impartial justice is pure justice according to this word. So it doesn't change anything, all right? Social justice, however, takes a, a route that directly contrasts the meaning of biblical justice. In other words, the opposite of that. And let me show you something. The core value, if you look it up, do the research. I've done hours and hours and hours of research. The core value of social justice is what you see on the screen. And that's to redistribute resources and advantages to the disadvantage to achieve social and economic equality for all. But for this to happen, it requires the identification of those who, quote, have advantages and resources and quote, those who do not. Okay? And there's two problems with this modern idea of social justice. And the first one is this, that it pits groups of people against each other and instills jealousy in those deemed oppressed of those who are the oppressors. Okay? It creates a victim mentality in the oppressed and it forces them to look to others oftentimes in an unjust way for their, for their plight, for their condition, okay? And here's, here's a unique thing, that, that while biblical justice unites and uplifts people, modern-day social justice tears down certain groups and creates division. Am I right? Okay. The second problem with modern-day social justice is this, that it surrenders more power to the government 
since it appears to be the only one powerful enough to correct the systemic inequalities. Now, in America, politicians earn votes and approval by catering to the needs of specific groups of people to lift them, quote, out of their oppression or to make things more equal for them. Um, you know, they make, they make promises day and night, right? I ain't going to say no more. I don't have to. Because most of them, when they get in there, they don't do it. They don't follow through. God bless the ones who do. But what, here's what they do. They, they, they look for their base. You'll hear this all the time. You, well, you've got you've to market to your base. So they'll do surveys. They'll do interviews and all kinds of things to identify ways in which the groups that would support them, their view, they find out what their views are, how they are oppressed, and, and the politicians say, if you give us more control by electing me, then I can help you who are disadvantaged and help you overcome your oppressors. The problem is that people who don't have a biblical sense of justice look for a non-biblical solution to the problem of injustice, which always leads to bigger problems. Now, I, in my research, I found that many respectable Christian leaders, pastors, authors, they suggest that Christians to be um, I'm trying to think of what the word, but anyway, to have influence in our culture today that they use the term social justice, but they advise them to try and differentiate between the types, different types of social justice. I'm just going to be honest, that says that that's, that's as effective as spitting into the wind. And I'm not trying to be crude. I'm just saying because the reality today is that modern day social justice has taken on an extremely charged political meaning. Okay? We've crossed over now into a political realm. And what was once an inoffensive phrase has morphed into an entire worldview that opposes the Christian worldview and understanding of justice. And in fact, I had a whole section in here on worldview, and I realized that that's a whole teaching that I, more than likely I'm going to do next week. Because statistics show in America, less than 4% of those who profess to be Christians hold a Christian worldview. That means 96% of people who sit in chairs or pews of our churches in America today or that, re that relate themselves as being Christian, their view is different than the Bible. 96%. Did you know the majority of, quote, born-again believers in the United States do not believe that Jesus lived a sinless life. 
They believe that Christ sinned. Well, how can you turn to Christ the Savior if he was a sinner and you're a sinner and needing a Savior? They don't realize that they've adopted a worldview that is secular and anti-biblical. So that's another lesson all together. So what is this worldview? Well, in the past, social justice, this is what social justice meant. It was broad attempts to fight against unfair inequalities that exist in civic life and hold unjust perpetrators accountable. That makes sense to me. That, that should be what social justice, you know, in other words, if there's unfair inequalities and, and we can see that, then we, we should be against that. If people are, are uh, committing crimes, then we should be against that and that there be laws on the books that are appropriate to those who are committing the crimes. That was at the past tense. But in modern worldview of social justice, it means political actions taken to liberate those perceived to be, quote, oppressed identity groups suffering under the oppressors. I took it from their websites. That's exactly what it says. These political actions include dismantling, deconstructing, reordering society and its structures. The very first message I did, I talked about this deconstructing and then reconstructing to fit the ethics of the age, where the Bible says every man did what was right in their own eyes. They, they come up with their own belief system based on what they want. But the Bible is not a cafeteria line where you go, give me a little of that, a little of that, a little of that, none of that, give me some of that, and, and um, I'll try that. And let me, let me give you this example. Please understand, I'm just doing this because this is, this is what's going on in our world. Uh, Christopher Rufo recently revealed one of the nation's largest defense contractors, Raytheon. How many of you ever heard the name of that company? Is usually modern-day social justice ideology in their employee training. And I'm going to put a slide that he posted on Twitter. You're not going to be able to see all of that, but I wanted you to see that I'm not making this up. Raytheon asked white employees to deconstruct their identities and identify their privilege, quote-unquote. The company states, and that's what it says on there, that white, straight, Christian men are at the top of the oppression hierarchy. And that they must work on, quote, recognizing their privilege, unquote, and step aside, quote, unquote, for minorities. And the training goes on and says these privileged employees, they, they must learn to recognize when other voices are more important than their own, unquote. That is explicitly partial. In other words, because you fall into some category that I have no control over, okay, and, and, and we talk about the, these immutable things. I was, I, I am a white, 
male Christian. Well, I had a choice about being a Christian, but I didn't have a choice about being who I am, where I was born, my family. Those things were decided. I didn't have a vote. God didn't say, you want to be born in an Italian family? Nah, I'd rather be something else. He didn't ask me. But because I'm, I was, I'm born in there, because the color of my skin or because of my religious beliefs, I'm being told that I need to know when to keep my mouth shut because I'm privileged over other people. Please hear my heart about this. I am not a racist. I am not a bigot. I didn't even know what any of that was until I moved to Alabama my junior year of high school. I was raised in a military home and military families. We had people from every walk of life. We, fell, we, we, we ate dinners together. We had picnics together. We went to church together. I never even knew anything about the race riots and, 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 and all that kind of stuff that was going on in the United States until I moved from California to Alabama, my junior year in high school. I lived a little ignorant. It's just the way it was. And some people might say that that's why I shouldn't be teaching something like this. But what I'm teaching is not my, based on my experience. What I'm teaching is what this book says. And I'm not taking it out of context. I'm taking the whole of what it means. So the, the fact that they say that that social justice is partial to certain groups over other groups, the Bible knows nothing of that kind of justice. Okay? So what does it mean in practice? Let me tell you. On-demand abortion for reproductive justice. Socialism for, quote, economic justice. Forcing Christians to violate their religious beliefs to participate in celebrations of gay marriage and pride events for LGBTQ plus whatever minus events. That's their justice, okay? Imposing transgender rights on the culture over past standards concerning gender. And, and if you don't think it's gone crazy, let me, let me tell you something. That the changes in our culture because of social justice engineering, is also changing our vocabulary, all right? For example, the term gender no longer means male or female. Instead, gender now takes into account identity and expression. It's not a matter of fact, it's, it's a matter of feel. I feel like. I'm this. I express myself as this. According to Healthline.com, go look it up if you don't believe me, there are now 64 terms to describe gender. 64. If you haven't picked up on it yet, <laughs> let me make it clear. Social justice in this modern vernacular isn't justice. 
It's a group of people making moral judgments moment by moment on basis of whatever's taking place. It's not grounded in a righteous system like Christianity. It doesn't respect the natural law of that all humans were created in the image and likeness of God. Instead, social justice in the 21st century is essentially a, a, a comprehensive system of political activism often motivated by grievances seeking to radically reshape the culture. So let me quickly give you three key differences, quickly, three key differences between biblical justice and social justice. And I'm going to give you a number of scriptures also. And, and the first one is this, that biblical justice reflects God's character. Social justice reflects a fallen human philosophy. Or I could have just said reflects fallen man. God is a God of justice. The concept of true divine justice is rooted in his character. In Deuteronomy 10, 18, it says, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Deuteronomy 32 and 4. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Isaiah 117. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Psalm 82 and 3. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. And I could go on and on and on and on and on with more verses, defining the very character of who God is. Therefore, biblical justice is pure, always upholding good and denouncing evil, whereas modern social justice is the opposite. It's a philosophical product of a fallen humanity. The second thing about biblical justice versus social justice is that biblical justice is objective. Social justice is subjective, okay? Deuteronomy 17 and 6 says, On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a person is to be put to death. But no one is to be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. Now, you might think, well, that's a strange verse to use on this topic. No. Let me show you how this works. Why does the scripture require multiple witnesses before passing a death sentence versus one person? It is to ensure that the punishment is rendered based on objective reality and verifiable facts. Remember when they brought Jesus before the high priest and they tried to find witnesses? And they had multiple witnesses, but none of them, none of their testimonies lined up. You remember that? 
And, until finally he says, I find no fault in them. Why? Because this one said this, but this one contradicted it and said this, and this one said this, and this one said this. And nobody, there was no witnesses that came together and objectively gave the same testimony. So it's, it's the idea that punishment or justice is to be rendered based on objective reality and tied to verifiable facts and not simply the subjective interpretation or opinion of an alleged victim. Social justice works that way. It works just the opposite of biblical justice. Let me give you an example that some of you may remember. It happened just not that long ago. And the Supreme Court hearings dealing with Justice um, Brett Kavanaugh. All that was required to render a guilty verdict was the unsubstantiated allegation of one person, which later proved to be false. Thankfully, Justice Kavanaugh was able to weather the storm of social justice that descended upon his hearings. Had social justice proponents had their way, he would have been declared guilty on subjective hearsay. Is it important? Yes, it's important. The third difference between biblical justice and modern-day social justice is premised on showing partiality. Biblical justice is impartial. Social justice is premised on showing partiality. What do I mean by that? The Bible clearly states that God is no respecter of persons. Just that one verse alone is enough. God is no respecter of persons. In other words, every person is the same standing before God. And God deals with each of us not on the basis of our skin color or our sex or our, our place in society or anything. He deals with us on the basis of our sin. Okay? And ultimately, God is going to render impartial judgment on our lives when we stand before a holy God. And who you identify as here on earth is not going to matter because the only identity that is going to matter at that time is whether or not you identify as being in Christ and Christ in you. Okay? The reality is also reflected how God expects us to judge one another. In other words, he says, the way I judge you, you judge one another. Let me show you this verse, Leviticus 19 and 15. And, and I know a lot of verses are from Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and, and these are verses, most people will tell you, they skip those books of the Bible. Because here's what I hear Christians say all the time, we're not under the law. You're not under the law, but the law the things of, of God's word reflects the character of who God is. He doesn't change. The Bible says, I am the Lord your God, I change not. He didn't go when Jesus died on the cross, go, oh, 
wardrobe change. Now I'm a different God. No, it's still the same God. Okay? Leviticus 19 and 15 says, Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. You can't even get it close. Don't pervert justice. How do you show... How do you not pervert justice? By showing partiality. Oh, well, this is a man or woman of prestige in our community. Uh, we're going to let them off with a little slap on the hand. But another person comes along who has no influence, who's maybe poor, had a difficult life, whatever, does the same thing, and they're going to throw the book at them. That's inequality. That's a perversion of justice. The Bible says, do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great or rich. In other words, it should be the same for both. Okay? Under a system of social justice, partiality is not just expected, but it's required. So let me give you three simple actions to take, and then we're going to close in prayer. Okay? And I know this is kind of teaching morning, but I want you to understand. I want you to be equipped to address these things when they come up, because they're, this, this, this monstrosity of social justice is growing exponentially and invading every part of our lives. The largest corporations in the world are now behind all of this and promoting it. So it's coming to a neighborhood near you, if it hasn't already. Three simple actions. And the first one is, is this. Well, that's not, that's not the first one, was it? I had it already up there. Whenever you hear a fellow believer use the phrase social justice, ask them to define the term. Ask them, what do you mean by that? And if they go, well, you know, then they don't know. And that's your clue. And you can take bits and pieces of this and put it, something together and say, do you do realize that the Bible defines justice and that modern-day social justice is anti-Bible because it is anti-Christ in nature. It is not that we were all created in the image and likeness of God equally, but some are favored over others. So ask them to define it. And what I do is say, do me a favor, and instead of just saying social justice, use the term biblical justice. Because I guarantee you when you begin to do that, people are going to go, what is that? Ta-da, you're on stage. You got your opportunity. Biblical justice is that which was prescribed by God in the Bible. It has been and will not change. Okay? And then encourage them to use that term instead. 
And they go, well, I'll just say, I believe in justice. Well, but your term for justice and somebody else's term for justice means something else. How many of you have ever witnessed to a Jehovah's Witness person? You can say Jesus, you can, you can, you can use all these ter religious terms we use, and they, they believe in all that too, but their expression or term or definition of who Jesus is and everything is different than what we believe in the Bible. So make them define, tell them, I encourage you to use the term biblical justice. The second action you can take, and this one I started not even put up there because I felt like most people won't do it. But I said, I'm going to say it anyway. And that is commit yourself to studying your Bible so that you know what true biblical justice is, what it looks like, what it sounds like, and what it acts like in practice. How do you live it out? You know, what's the, what's the biggest thing that people say about, I don't want to go to church because they're full of hypocrites. Like, well, let's not be hypocrites. Let's live this Bible. It's what it says. Let us live by it. The third thing is very simple. Be on guard. You say what? Be on guard about what? In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, it says this. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. Now, why would, why would Paul write to believers to say, be on guard that no one takes you captive to earthly philosophies if it wasn't possible? He says that as a warning because it is possible. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. what does it say? Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. All the good stuff on the surface looks good. It's when you get down into the nitty-gritty, you find this isn't biblical. This whole concept isn't biblical. Modern social justice is a hollow and deceptive philosophy devoid of Christ, masquerading as light when it is in fact darkness. And that might sound harsh, but brothers and sisters... Let me assure you, it is true. Just last night, I, I, somebody sent me something on Twitter. I went to check it real quick, and the post underneath it's what caught my attention. I started to capture the video to show it to you, but because of the language, I didn't. But it was a father who had just was about was going off the rails. Just he wasn't a Christian. It was obvious. His vocabulary needed to be cleaned up a little bit. But he had two children, two young boys, had been taken to the pediatrician to be checked out so that they could play football. 
And the oldest one was nine, 10 years old. Nine, 10 years old. And the pediatrician asked the boy if he identified as a boy or a girl. The mother was horrified and stopped the interview immediately. And when she told her husband, he got on social media and let it go. He said, it's a good thing it was my wife who took my boys in. And it wasn't me, because I mean, he was livid. He said, and what, it, he said, my, my oldest child didn't even look at that doctor like he was stupid. Like if he don't know I'm a boy. He said, what if it had been the seven-year-old that had gone in there first? And you say, well, what does that do? It sows the seed of deception into those children's lives. And I mentioned it last week. If you didn't see that parade where they were marching through the streets of the city and they said, we're coming for your children. 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 I'm telling you, I never felt just like I had hair I don't have on my head stand up. I was horrified hearing that. And I'm thinking, is this possible that we have gone this far into the dark, the darkness that nobody can see the wrong in what's going on? And you say, well, how can this happen? How does this come to pass by the prevalence of modern day social justice. So as Christians, we need to be aware and we need to be equipped to be able to reject this idolatrous belief system and take a stand for biblical justice. Biblical justice. I'm not saying that people haven't been done wrong. I'm not saying that. But to say that we're going to take rights away from certain people so that other people can have certain rights and we're going to force those who don't believe a certain way to, with this, we're going to force this on them. That's not biblical justice. Biblical justice is the character and nature of God and what is pure and holy and it is, it is meted out equally across the board. Poor or rich, black or white, doesn't matter. Male, female, doesn't matter. It's equal across the board. And if we don't speak out, and we don't say stop, and somebody says, but on my job, my company supports this, and if I speak out against it, I'll lose my job. Well, here's the deal. You don't have to go poke the bear. But when the bear growls, it's time to speak. You say, well, that's easy for you to say. How is that easy for me to say? I can tell you most of my peers won't even address this top, these topics. Because they said, 
And one of them told me, he says, I'll lose my biggest givers if I touch on stuff like this. I said, that I'd rather preach to five than 500 if I can't preach the truth of what God's word says. Listen to me, the stakes are high. They're really high. And that's why every word counts. That's why saying social justice versus, or biblical justice versus social justice, one word changes it all. Biblical justice is based on every page right here. Social justice is changing constantly by those who have an agenda, those who have a purpose for making it what they need it to be. So we need to be aware of it. It is, it is tearing apart our social order and our sense of true justice. Now you say, well, pastor, how is this spiritual? The Bible says we're, spite, we're fighting spiritual battles here on the earth. We're in a war against regimented powers of darkness. And God has equipped us with the greatest weapon right here to speak against that darkness. Some would say, well, I'd rather just say, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. But Paul, in every town that he went to, it says he would go to the synagogue first and he would reason with those that were there. He would reason the scriptures. He would present them, argue them, debate them, and find those who believed in what he said, and then he would take them and start a house church. He didn't go in there like waving some mystical, magical, spiritual, whatever, and making people believe. He reasoned them the word of God. And the reason that people today are so caught up in believing a lie is because the church doesn't even read the book. But the greatest example of true biblical justice is seen in the life of Jesus Christ. Because the law condemned me for my sins. There was no way I could escape the retributive judgment of God. The Bible says that which you sow, you reap. I sowed to sin, I was going to reap that. But Christ came and took my place. He took your place. And the sins of the world were placed upon him. Our sins that we should be rightly judged for and condemned for all eternity. Those sins were placed on him and he paid the ultimate price. The price that God's word requires 
For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Is it any wonder why so many translations today have removed the word blood? They want, to be, they want to make it more readable, more acceptable, more palatable. My friend, without the blood of Jesus Christ, without the blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And Jesus died upon the cross. And the Bible says for three days he was buried in a tomb. But on the third day, he arose victorious over sin and over death. And he said, whosoever believes in me shall not perish, but have eternal life. Perish because retributive judgment of a holy God would condemn me and anybody else to eternal damnation. But the blood of Christ now covers us. And that cannot be taken away. I said that cannot be taken away. The blood of Jesus. I didn't know it for a long time. That's what it was when Christ came into my life that morning. Two o'clock in the morning, February 28, 1970. I did not know it was the blood of Jesus that did it. But when I got into that word, I found out that it was the blood that took away my sins. Washed it away. Didn't cover it. Didn't hide it. Washed it away. It doesn't exist anymore. From the far as the east is from the west, God removed it from the scene. Thank God. Thank a holy God for his love for us. That's biblical justice. If I choose not to believe, I'll stand before God and give an account and I will receive the punishment for unbelief and rejecting Christ. But I'm so thankful for the last 50 something years, Jesus has been my savior how many of you could say you're thankful that Christ paid the price and changed your life let me see your hands how many of you yeah thank God for that thank God for that thank God for biblical justice he placed the sins of my life and your life on his son Jesus chose to do that. He said, if you'll believe in me, confess me with your mouth, believe in your heart, turn away and come after me, you shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved from God's judgment. It's not an unfair judgment. You say, well, I don't believe in that. It doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change the fact that you've sinned. It doesn't change that God, holy God is going to hold you accountable. What does change is that you can accept, have it all be forgiven by accepting Christ. I don't know wherever a person stands in here, I know most of you, that you're a believer, a follower of Christ. But if you're in here today, in fact, someone wrote me a note a few weeks ago and said, don't just accept the fact that maybe everybody there is a Christian because somebody might be watching through that camera who needs to know Christ 
And I was thankful for, for that reminder. So I want us to pray right now. If you're ready to surrender and let Christ come in and be Lord of your life. We said earlier in the song, do whatever you need to do. That's what you're asking God to do. If you're ready to do that, I want you just to pray with me right where you're at. Dear God in heaven, I come to you this day and I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I am lost and I need a savior. Dear Jesus, I believe that you were born of a virgin. You lived a sinless life. You died on the cross. You were buried in a tomb. You were raised to life. I believe it. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I give you full control from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. The Holy Spirit, I pray, if anyone prays that now or even later as they're watching by way of the internet, Lord, I pray right now the Holy Spirit would just witness to them and let them know that God's judgment has passed off of them and the righteousness of God because of God's justice, His holy justice, is now upon them and life begins now it begins now in the name of Jesus Amen you've been sitting for a while if you're able to stand I welcome you to do so I would like us to take just two minutes to pray for our nation right now And this is not just a thing that's going on in the United States. This is happening all around the world. But I want us to pray that God's people become bold and able to speak forth truth. I'm not asking you to be antagonistic. I'm not asking you to be mean-spirited. I'm not asking you to speak in a demeaning way. I'm not asking you to act holier than thou. But be representatives of the King here on earth. Speak the truth in love. You may not see the results immediately, but the seed is sown. You're the planter, and God will send someone to water it, and someone will come along and reap it for Christ. But how can they hear unless someone speak? Amen. And then I want to pray for our children. The enemy is after our kids. 
you may say, may say, well, my children are grown. Pray for your grandchildren. If you don't have the, if you don't have any children, grandchildren, pray for your neighbor's kids. Father, we pray for boldness as a lion. Boldness of the Holy Spirit. You said, take no thought for the words that you would speak. For when the time comes that you have to speak, you would give us the words. But yet, God, you tell us to be students of the word, to study, to show ourselves approved. Let us study, Lord God, that we would know who you are, the character, the very nature of who you are. That when we hear falsehoods, we would not be silent, but we would, in love of Jesus, speak out the truth. And that we would speak with confidence and boldness. That the truth would go forth. And light would shine in darkness. And Lord, now we pray for our children. And our grandchildren, Lord. And even great-grandchildren. Father, the enemy has an agenda. And he's going after those children. But God, you said, suffer the little children to come unto me. Father, I thank you that for the last several weeks up in Woodworth, there's been hundreds and hundreds of kids who have come to know you, Lord God. But when they go back home, Father, they need the covering of parents who understand what the, what the world is trying to do, what the culture is trying to change around them. God, we pray for protection upon our kids, spiritual protection, God. God, that their eyes would be covered, that their ears would be blocked to the evil that is going on around them and that they would be open and receptive vehicles to the word of God. That God, they would be like a dry sponge just soaking up the, the water of the word. Just Lord, let him soak it up, Lord God. That they would be bold. And I thank you for parents, Lord, who, who re understand the importance of telling their children, reaffirming to them on a daily basis who they are. That God made them specifically. And that God has a purpose in their life. Reinforcing that day after day after day after day. That they might grow up in the truth. Knowing the truth. That they would be free from the bondage and slavery of sin. Pray this in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you. If you need prayer for any specific need, come and we'll have some of us be here to pray for you. God bless you. We love you. Appreciate you so much.